Hey, this is Dave Ryder from New Spring Church here in beautiful Perth, Western Australia. Really praying that this message is going to help you. If you'd like some more information about our story, just head to newspring.org.au. We're going to be in the book of Genesis today, so if you have your Bibles, if it's on your phone, um, grab that. And um, what I mentioned last week, um, I'm trying to um, um, kind of like do content, deliver content um, differently um, in that, um, same as last week, I'm going to try to do like a 20-minute short message and land on one point. Last week, people were unbelievers, and you go check out like the YouTube and podcast, I did it. I, so let's know I can do it. Whether or not I do it, that's up to my discipline. Um, but then we're going to actually have another um, New Spring conversation, get to know someone in our church. But today's conversation is actually going to um, um, actually lead out from, from some of this stuff. Well, at least I'm hoping. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. <laughs> I might um, ask the wrong questions. Great. So over my long service leave, um, I had the opportunity to do a lot of reading. Um, does anyone like reading here? Anyone despise reading? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so obviously read a lot of um, a lot of th- theological books. Wanted to actually get prepared for 2023. Um, read a uh, read a couple of books with some social issues that are happening. But I actually had the opportunity. Um, to read um, three novels, which was actually good. And um, when I have the time, I actually like to actually escape um, kind of the world of theology and enter into a different genre and to a different place. And that was actually really good for me. But it actually got me thinking this week about the normal approach or the appropriate handling of a story. Um, It may have been a while since you've actually read a novel or something like that. But generally speaking, when it comes to me, when I'm thinking about a a novel or a story, if someone gives me something, or or especially if I'm um, looking through Amazon because I want to put something on my Kindle or something like that, I will do one of two things. The first thing I'll generally do is actually go to the blurb. Does anyone go to the blurb? The blurb is actually found on the back cover usually or somewhere which is easy, easily to access and it gives you a short summary or promotion of what this um, particular piece of work is all about. And as I read that, I kind of like, ah, this is what this story is about. This is what this narrative is about. If I don't do that, I will generally go to page number one of this, like chapter one and actually start beginning from the very first sentence. Anyone else do that? Seems obvious, right? It would seem a little bit odd, really, if someone actually was given a novel or given a story and they went to page 100 and started reading from that. That would seem a little bit absurd. Wouldn't you agree? Or like think about a movie, like you're, you're watching a movie and then all of a sudden someone rocks in about like, like, like 45 minutes late, you know, after the movie started and you think to yourself, this person's not going to understand the story. Won't even know the characters, won't even know the plot. Like the very beginning sets up the entire thing and you've rocked up 45 minutes late like you just wasted your money, man. You know, that would seem a little bit silly. It seems like we have this common understanding of the appropriate way or the appropriate response or approach when it comes to um, handling narrative stories or books or anything like that. We generally understand that seems pretty obvious, right? We understand that with almost every kind of literature except for the Bible. I kind of find that a lot of us, we, we might have grown up in the, in the church, but we don't necessarily understand the blurb, or we don't necessarily go to chapter 1, verse 1, and actually figure out, okay, I wonder what this story is actually all 
about. A lot of times I know in my tradition, in my upbringing, we went to the New Testament straight away. We went to the gospel straight away. Very, very rarely would we go to the Old Testament. But I think that what I've come to learn about myself is that if I don't understand the story of God, if I don't really um, like, like actually go back to the beginning, understand the blurb, go back to, to the very beginning of it, um, if I don't understand it, even by a very, very small percentage, I found in my life it's led me to go into unhelpful understandings, unhelpful expectations, and also unhelpful answers to the questions of life that come to all of us and really rock our world. That's just me. And as I talk to people, I'm finding I'm great, I'm continually trying to bring them back to um, what this story is about. Ultimately, the way that you and I see God and the way that we see God act in the pages of Scripture is going to shape how we are. Every one of us are here today because of the way we see God. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, I want to actually be a learner and actually continue in my understanding of who God is, how he acts in the world, because that's going to shape who I know myself to be. And it's also going to shape how I act in the world as well. And I hope we're going to actually see some of that today. So last week I presented two, um, I'm praying two helpful things that we're going to be using for the course of um, this year in particular when I'm speaking um, And the reason why I gave this is, again, we want to be faithful resurrection people, don't we? I mean, I want to be a faithful Christian. And I've got to come to the reality that I'm still figuring this out. I think you need to come to terms with the fact that your senior pastor is still figuring this out because I have come to the reality and I've come to the terms that this congregation, you're still figuring it out as well. If we can have this posture of humility, a posture of learning, man, we're going to actually um, be able to um, learn a lot together. So the two things which I put forward, I think the first one could almost be seen as what the blurb of the Bible is. And we've got the slide up there. What is this story all about? The story is about God. God is establishing his rule over creation through humanity for his glory. Could you imagine if you presented someone with the Bible that just gave their life to Jesus and say, okay, here's the book, and it's like, okay, where's the blurb? And on the back cover, it actually had this. This is what this narrative is about. This is what this story is about. Before you actually read anything, you need to know what this is about. This is a story. This is a narrative about how God is establishing his rule over creation through humanity for his glory. That would actually give a lot of context right? That would give a lot of context. That, that truth over there, that might actually be the very first time some people in this church have heard that or considered that because you actually thought that your salvation was all about you and God. And it turns out the story is not about you and God. It includes you and God, but actually story is actually about something much more bigger, huge. In fact, we're, we are invited into this story, which is beyond measure. It is a massive, massive, massive story. This story includes both God and humanity, and it also includes creation. So, you know, like we can sometimes have this humility where we say, you know what, you know, it's not about me, it's just about God. You heard that? The story lets me know it is about God, but it's actually also about you. There, there, there is this huge human component which God has decided that he wants to actually use in his great story. And here's the reality. When we have that false sense of humility where we say it's not about me, it's just about God. If the partnership of me and God actually 
brings him glory, how is God getting any glory if I keep on subtracting myself from what this is all about? You know what I'm saying? So we actually want to actually turn a little bit of those truths in our mind and renew our mind a little bit to let you know, you know what? you got a part to play. Isn't that good? That God is actually breaking for something brand new in this world and he wants to use you, Lee. He wants to use me. He wants to use Ashley. And when we actually say, no, it's not about me, Jesus, you take the wheel, we need to understand the Holy Spirit saying, you just got this story wrong. You just got it wrong. You heard something, it sounded spiritual, but it is a departure from the biblical narrative. So, Jaron, get your hands on the wheel, partner with the Holy Spirit, and take this world somewhere, because that is for the glory of God. Man, that makes me feel happy. <laughs> the second one was this, um, this model, or this framework, which is an old framework, but we're just trying to use different language. And if you have the slide up um, over there, Derek, we went through this idea of goal, mess, plan. You might be familiar with the paradigm or the frame of creation, fall, redemption. Goal, mess, plan. And um, what we said last week and what we're going to start kicking into this week is that Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 are actually packed with a lot of meaning, that there's already a plan that's already in place. And um, this plan is, is not a static plan. It's a plan that's actually really dynamic, that God has visions, God has dreams about what this world is, should be and what's supposed to be happening in this world. And as we step into it, he gets glory when we actually step into that. So God's plan and his goal that he initiates is that God is establishing his rule over creation through humanity for his glory. Again, that's a huge blurb. We're going to actually dig a little bit deeper to find out what that is. And all of this part of the room of God would be for his glory because as we'll go through Genesis, we'll see that the creation narrative actually shows God that he is actually building a temple. All of creation is a temple for God. And we are image bearers. We are those who are image, made the image of God in his temple, which is creation. So it leads to a, a couple of really profound questions, really. Like, what are you saved to? If you're a Christian, if you say, I'm saved, what are you saved to? You're actually saved to the goal, right? You're saved from the mess, but you're saved to the goal. Something has actually been restored. Something has actually been reclaimed. And as we start seeing um, the Bible through this, you'll read the New Testament, you'll read Paul, and you will see it everywhere, absolutely everywhere. For all have sinned and lost the glory of God. Wait a minute. That which was lost is now reclaimed? What do I find out about that? Like what, what it looked like? Oh, we'll go to Genesis 1, Genesis 2. Then we'll start to figure that out, um, which is good. What's the end game of the plan? Oh, wait a minute. Now that you're saved, you're, part of, you, you're saved to the goal. Um, now that you're saved, what are you part of? You're actually part of the plan now. You need to know what the plan is. My salvation is not this little picture, which is a little bit reductionistic, where it has me here, there's this huge gulf, and there's this cross, which is a bridge, and, and salvation is about me getting over to God. Okay, it includes that, but what does that picture have to do with the goal? Nothing. Because now that I am saved, I am now part of the plan. And what is the end goal of the plan? The end goal of the plan is the goal. So what does the goal entail? We're going to go through that. Today's message is called simply this one thought which I want to land, and if I don't land it, it's the title of the sermon, so at least you get it. This is the title. It's in your um, sermon notes on the app, by the way. 
Chaos or order? Chaos or order? As we're going through the book of Genesis, we want to go through slowly and say, okay, we made the image of this God who is revealed to us in Scripture. What is this God doing in whose image I am made? So Genesis 1 verse 1, if you have your Bibles, we're going to read the first two verses this morning. And says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. The first two chapters of Genesis are not data that we are to use, because sometimes we use Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, I'm talking about the church, as a weapon um, to kind of... um, war against perceived ills of the modern or the postmodern um, age. It's not data to be used. It is an epic poem. It is incredible poem. It is this epic poem. It's not scientific data points. It is poetry which is purposed to explode our imaginations. It is, it is purposed to expand the vistas and, and to actually imagine what this whole thing is about or what it was supposed to be about. It has provocative details that is supposed to send our minds through the remainder of scriptures to actually fill in gaps. And we actually look the remainder of scriptures alongside Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. And it is supposed to literally explode out like it's simply like mind blown. Like, you know, it's supposed to do that. It is epic poetry. And hopefully we'll see some of that stuff as we go through it. As we've read, the very first character in the narrative that we were introduced to is God. That seems pretty obvious, isn't it? Very first character is God. The Bible proclaims good news from the very first sentence. How about that? Good news from the very first sentence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The creation of this world is the first of the majestic and gracious acts of this triune God, which reveals to us and exhibits the astonishingly incredible generosity and goodness of God. That's how the story begins. That's how this epic poem begins. It's astonishing, the generosity, the goodness of God. And in the first um, couple of verses, we're also given the setting. The setting is creation itself. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the water. So straight away, we get a glimpse of what is happening in this scene and what is happening with this character that we've just read about, God. He's introduced straight away as creator. And the story lets us know, this epic poem lets us know that the earth was formless. It was void. It had no shape to it. It was empty. I think that's difficult to try and comprehend because everything we see and experience has shape and form. I mean, think about this auditorium. What a beautiful auditorium, you know. It has walls. It has a floor. It has chairs. It has shape. It makes sense. There is a logic to this auditorium, right? It makes sense. It completely makes sense. Could you imagine a space that is formless, void, nothing there, makes no sense whatsoever? Logic has completely gone. If we were in a no space with nothing, it wouldn't be comfortable. It wouldn't make sense. That kind of place is not 
is inhabitable for humans. And the concept of human flourishment, well, that's, that's so far removed. So far removed. But this epic poetry is actually letting us know that there was a situation, that there was a situation that was inhospitable for human flourishing. And God is about to act upon it and do something with it in order that flourishing could happen. Um, in our New Spring conversation, we might get into this, but, but in, in um, ancient Israel imaginations, but also probably the imaginations of the ancient people, there was this tradition where you would actually um, render these words like formless and empty. They were almost like characters or actors that bring chaos. Like, like we, we, we find it hard to read that. We haven't got the background story. We're not ancient people. We're modern people. But in their minds, they would have seen those words or heard those words, actually. And in their mind, it probably would have been like, oh, there's some characters, there's some actors in place. And these actors, they're actually bringing about chaos. Imagine that. Imagine having characters around the place bringing about chaos. Never, right? <laughs> we might have some of those actors around in the world today. I don't know. But chaos is actually a big um, force in the Old and New Testament. Um, and it's represented by things like seas and rivers and even monsters. And in Genesis 3, we actually read about a chaos monster, um, which actually comes into the scene. Ancient people, they had in, this, in their mind this picture that was running. It was rummaging around their imagination that when it comes to creation, that creation is always in danger of falling apart. It's always in danger of returning to the form of formlessness and emptiness. Genesis 1, this poetry is actually telling us that God acts upon chaos in order to bring order and flourishing. But like the story of the flood can actually be seen as this is a story of anti-creation, of everything falling apart. And, and, and those threads are actually um, come through the entire Bible. But... These first two verses let us know that it's actually chaos. Chaos is the condition into which God enters to act powerfully, to begin to shape and to make a place and a space that is wonderfully hospitable for human flourishing. That is the context. That is the setting. God is bringing shape. He is bringing structure. He is bringing order so it makes sense. He is doing all this so that joy can actually be present. He's doing this so, so people can find hospitality, they can find rest, they can find satisfaction. And he begins to fill this space and it explodes with, with such incredible abundance and really sparks our imagination. So we read in, in Genesis, like as he's bringing form, he brings form in the, in the way of rhythms. There's night and day, isn't it? There's seasons. There's seven days. He limits the sea, so there's dry land. He's creating a place for human flourishing. But then after he shapes a bit, he starts to fill as well. We're going to read just two verses, but I want you just to pay attention to the verbs. Just really pay attention to them. I'm going to read from Genesis 1, verse 20 to 22. And it reads like this. It says, Then God said, Let the waters teem. Everyone say teem. Teem. That's a cool word. Let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let, let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves. And with the waters swarmed, um, and, and 
with which the water swarmed after their kind, and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw it was good, and he blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. You know, as this poetry is actually given to us, you can see like it is really should be sparking imagination because it talks about the sea not just having fish, it's teeming. It's teeming. There are swarms. Like this language is supposed to like blow our mind. The ground is swarming with animals. The sea is teeming with life. The skies are filled with birds. There is so much life. So much life. It is a place of super abundance. Super abundance. Plenty. It's this picture where we're like overwhelmed with the richness so that human life will be well supplied for. So human life will flourish well. And it's not a static creation. It's a dynamic creation. This creation is heading somewhere. It's going somewhere. That's why God says, it's good. It's good. Sometimes in my um, tradition, I've, I've heard people talk about like the, this moment which is pre-fall and that was like perfect. Scripture doesn't say it was perfect. It said it was good. This is goodness. This is goodness. And this goodness, this good world is actually going somewhere. It's a dynamic world. And, and this poetry has actually given us this story that, that this is what God has done in the past. And this is part of the purpose of it. Because God is establishing his rule over creation through humanity for his glory. He creates goodness. And he partners with humanity and say, no, spread out my goodness. And when you spread out my goodness, I get glorified. Man, can you imagine returning to that vocation or that understanding? But as I said before, in the ancient imagination, there is this underlying narrative. Mysterious actors who represent chaos, they are lurking. They are present. And we actually see what happens before the mess kind of kicks in. Genesis 3 verse 1 says this, now the serpent. Now the serpent. Again, cast your mind back to you're an ancient Israel. Like in our mind, we go, oh, that's the devil. The scripture doesn't say that's the devil. It says it's a serpent. And in their imagination, in their mind, it would have been, this is a chaos monster. This is a chaos monster. Because from the very first line, very first sentence, in their imagination, this is about chaos, order coming out of chaos. And all of a sudden, there's a chaos monster who's been lurking. And they know in the creation narratives, understanding of creation, at any given time, creation can fall apart. It can go back to formlessness and back to emptiness. And lo and behold, here we are, there's a chaos monster, which is lurking and approaches humanity, approaches Adam and Eve, who have this incredible mandate that God is establishing his rule over creation through humanity for his glory. And what happens is a chaos monster. Mm. Story makes sense now, doesn't it? Epic. Chaos monster appears, and what happens? Adam and Eve, they side with chaos, and this becomes part of this great mess. And the chaos is moving in the opposite direction, to the goal, the opposite direction. That's kind of a brief kind of overlay of like getting into our imagination. 
So how would this information shape those of us living in 2023 who have been reclaimed by God, empowered by His Spirit, to live in our original vocation as image bearers of God, of this good triune God? How would that information shape the way we can live today, 12th of February, 2023? One thought, chaos or order. He is siding up with. And that's a very practical thought. Think about your marriage. All sorts of stuff happened in marriage. There's a whole lot of different responses you can have in marriage too, right? You know? I'm not talking about like your wedding day. I mean, that's delightful. I've been with many, many, many people. I've been there. We've tied the knot. And all that. That's one thing, right? You've probably only got a very, very few number of thoughts going through your head right then. <laughs> I'm not going to go there even though the kids are... Anyway. But in your marriage, a lot of responses. In your relationship, a lot of responses. Have you ever thought of yourself like actually taking a step back and played the movie forward? Okay, I want to do this right now. Okay, is that action? Is that thought? Is that glance? Is that siding with chaos or with order that brings flourishment? That's a pretty practical thought. And to be honest, it would just take simply just taking a step back and actually say, wait a minute, man, I, I seriously, dear Lord, you've got to help me now. Because seriously, I want to bite that person's head off. Like I need some like Holy Spirit sanctification. And the Holy Spirit say, no, you just need to consider this one thought, chaos or order. Because that will actually determine a lot. Wherever you are in life, in your workplace, in leadership, like, all sorts of stuff happens. How could that one thought frame our life? Holy Spirit, help me today to be a person who sides, a person who is an agent of order and flourishing and not a person who is an agent of chaos. You're about to do something. Is that going to bring disruption and chaos? Or is it going to bring order which can lead to flourishing? As someone who is a partner, a member, part of this sacred family called New Spring Church, what are you about to do? What's that action going to do? You're going to bring some chaos? Or are you going to partner with God to bring order? That's actually a pretty simple thought. How are you going to serve? Are you serving? Seriously. You know? When it comes to the church, this is actually not a spectator thing. Um... Going to a concert, that's a spectator thing. But when it comes to being the family of God, this is actually participating and pouring our life out. And the, the, the beautiful thing about um, um, we as people of God, every single one of us has been given unique graces and unique gifts, and we can actually use those graces and gifts to actually bring order and flourishment into the house of the church. You know what I'm saying? So maybe that's something you need to consider this year. So the very first thing, as I bring this to a close, is that we see God, who um, we see, the very first thing is that we see of this God, who we're supposed to reflect that he is a good creator. He steps into the place where the forces of chaos are in play, and he brings form and order, and he fills it so the place is hospitable for human flourishing. And he initiates this as part of the goal which is not the right goal. 
God is establishing his rule over creation through humanity for his glory. One question, chaos or order? All right, you get something out of that? 